Welcome to episode 31 of Void Video. I'm your host, Evan Jordan, a.k.a. That Evan Jordan on Twitter. And I am Nick, a.k.a. Agent Relic on Twitter. And today, we're going to get a little illegal, as the viewers asked us to, uh, with our favorite crime films, uh, what we're dubbing our crime film rap sheet. I think, what do you clap, so... What are you classifying as a crime film? Like, what would you cl cl classify as a crime film? Just any movie where somebody is committing a crime of some type? Yeah, or, or like, even maybe sometimes where a, a crime is committed, but maybe by, not by any of the people that we're following. Maybe they just see it happen. A la Pineapple Express. That's just the first thing that popped into my mind. <laughs> it's I like mean, they see the murder, you know? I mean, granted, they commit crimes. I was going to say, they definitely commit crimes on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just think crime films are, they're unique in the sense that they usually spend more time diving into like human psych and, and people's motivations, I think more than other genres, which is something I, I really like. And that like, that appeals to me, like the way people think and why people do the things they do or like unavoidable life situations feeding into like our personalities forming and, you know, or, or even some movies explore something like how a couple bad decisions can kind of alter your entire life course, you know? And I, I think any anything that touches on any of those aspects like that is, is I'd consider a crime movie. It's super broad. I know there's a lot that could fall under that, but there's a lot of different uh, nuances to crime, I think. Yeah, and my list definitely has a bit of diversity in how it's... Uh... On how crimey they are you know <laughs> yeah for sure mine does too and i try I purposely did that too of tried to get a different uh types of movies in the in the list you know and um i guess before we before we get into our list we could kind of touch on again like what like we did with the sci-fi why well why do you love crime films nick or why, what draws you to them because i think you probably have seen even more what i would consider crime films than i have I think, it, once again, it's just like sci-fi. It's very broad. You could do a lot. You could do, you know, real, like, real crimes or fictional crimes or you could put it in any genre, anytime, any place. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's also something that you don't get a lot with other genres is the fact that a lot of them are true or based on real events. So it, uh, you know, kind of allows them to feel grounded on a whole other level because you know the stuff you're watching actually happened in some capacity like zodiac or the little things american gangster wonderland you know any of those are like kind of biopics or or stories about real crimes that make you them just, even more hard-hitting you just call them biopics yeah isn't it biopics <laughs> maybe it is i don't know because it's biographies biopics <laughs> biopics i don't know i've always said biopics i don't know <laughs> Right, yeah, tell me, tell me, tell me, I'm an idiot on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, uh, I think you you get you don't get that in other genres, you know, like as much that kind of true story aspect of it. Not not that's like able to be as gruesomely detailed, I think, as crime films in terms of like both violence and historical information, you know, because yeah. you could pack a lot into these things. So just like last week or two weeks ago, I guess, right? Two episodes ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the lists are going to be like more wrecks up stuff maybe people haven't seen. Obviously, they're not the best crime films because 
then we would be in real like popular stuff and then people have seen it so we try to pick right. more uh stuff maybe people haven't seen yeah exactly um and i like there's so many like of these movies that we could totally this is something that we could spin into a second episode and dive into even more i think because again like sci-fi it's so broad because you got stuff that's that's like feels like real stories you know even though it's not stuff that's like super grounded uh and you got like yeah. super like fantastical I just, yeah i was gonna say i just watched like uh that. the other day this isn't on my list but the cell with uh jennifer lopez in it and it's like a sci-fi crime because she like enters the mind of a serial killer to find out where he's holding his victim because he's in a coma oh okay that's yeah, cool but like that's super cool. sci-fi fantasy yeah, and stuff. Well, like in, in an early episode, you talked about uh, Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. That's a good yes. example of like a sci-fi crime movie, you know? Um, and it like there's some stuff, too, that's like uh, less fantastical in a science way, like stuff like Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai, where it feels very poetic and like abstract in a way, uh, or, or stuff that's kind of goofy, like Live Wire, where it's like... Have you ever heard of that movie, Live Wire, from the from the 90s with Pierce Brosnan? <laughs> These people, so what they do is there's this, this chemical they've created that when you ingest it, you explode. So your body becomes a bomb. <laughs> and Pierce Brosnan is a bomb defusal expert who's tasked with figuring out why people are blowing up. <laughs> and it's like... It sounds ridiculous with me talking about it, but it's not framed to be funny. Like it's, it's serious, you know. <laughs> but I love that fucking movie. Like it's it's very like '90s. <laughs> um, but it, that's super fantastical and weird. But it's you know also presented in a grounded style, which is interesting. Um, and then of course you got stuff that's just nonsensical violence, like Hobo with a Shotgun and Natural Born Killers and Devil's Rejects, stuff like that. But I think a lot like horror, though, cr crime films tend to reflect the state of society at the time they were made a lot of times. Stuff like Taxi Driver, Spring Breakers, uh, or S Scarface is a perfect example because you got the 1932 Howard Hawks Scarface, which is about prohibition and, and uh, alcohol. And then you have the, the 1983 Brian De Palma film that was written by Oliver Stone, and that's kind of updated to draw parallels to the original while still feeling socially and politically relevant, you know, which is kind of both are perfect reflections of the times they were made, I think. Yeah. You could also have alternate history movies like Shangri-La Suite. This one I watched recently is these two, this young couple goes and tries to kill, uh, kill Elvis Presley. <laughs> and, like, uh, uh, so they kind of take a real character, you know? And yeah. Inglorious <laughs> bastards too. They, yeah. Yeah, Quentin Tarantino likes doing that, doesn't he? Because he kind of did it with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a little bit, also yeah, with the definitely twisting um, a, a historical yeah event. events with fiction. Yeah, um, and then you of course got comedy, crime comedies, um, Arizona, Bernie, uh, Bottle Rocket, Wolf of Wall Street. There's a that like that's a whole subgenre too of stuff that's funny. That's crime films. So one thing we're leaving out is westerns, but. That's like a whole other can of beans, you know, I feel like. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> it's like, well, like mobster movies, too. Like, that's a whole. Yeah, there's so many of those. Yeah, that could be its own thing, too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If there's any of these that you want us to expand on in the future, 
jump in the Discord and let us know about it. Um, because there's a lot of ways you could take these different things. But I guess without further ado, we could uh, slide into our list. Uh, uh, my first movie is probably the the biggest movie on my list, the biggest budget movie, and definitely the most well-known. Um, but I love it so damn much, I just felt like I had to put it on there anyway. And that's the 2001 film Blow, directed by Ted Dim. Ted Dimmy. It's a a a. <laughs> it's a biopic, or is it a biopic? <laughs> it's a biopic about uh, George Young, who was. Uh, if you don't know his name, if you if you're into like. You know, drug dealer uh, biopics and and kind of that whole. Uh, subgenre of crime films then you definitely have heard of this guy um he was part of the median cartel in the 70s who is famously associated with uh pablo escobar and he was like essentially pablo escobar's american connection who was bringing all of the cocaine to the united states and it tells the story of how he kind of came up and how uh it starts honestly in his childhood he's a kid when the movie starts which is pretty cool um and it shows how he grew up and how his family life shaped him. And it's kind of, it's all told from his perspective. So it's not as much worried about being factually accurate as it is about telling this man's story. Um, for better or for worse, however you feel about that, you know. Um, Did he uh, have a hand in writing it? No. no. He's in prison, I don't know. Right? He's in I prison. Didn't... But they, yeah, they, they went to uh, prison and talked to him a good bit. In the bonus features, there's a lot of of uh footage of that of them talking to him or in the prison they'd go visit him and do interviews and johnny depp specifically spent a lot of time with him to try and capture his mannerisms you know and so he could act like him and and i think from everything that from like the bonus footage and stuff you can tell like the way that george actually carries himself and stuff johnny definitely got all that right and like he's uh it's it's kind of a a the closest realization you'll see to, to George actually being in the movie. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's locked up, and he actually, I believe he got out of prison in recently. Uh, it But it kind of, anyway, it kind of starts out uh, with his childhood and stuff and goes into, he meets a girl in, in college, and they moved, him and his friend Tuna moved to California, and they start kind of selling weed on the beach and stuff and you see from there them work their way up and you see that they're very good at what they're doing but that they're also very quickly getting in over their head you know and uh it's definitely got a lot of ups and downs and a lot of uh, tough emotional moments and i think it's a pretty powerful film overall and like i said it's not as, as worried about the facts of the of the situation because like at, there's so many documentaries on the median cartel if you want to know that stuff just go watch one of those you know but it tells george's story as as he remembers it and as he sees it um and i think that's pretty cool and kind of the messages it touches on and stuff are fairly universal and fairly powerful i think and it's got some kick-ass music like there's some straight-up banger songs in this. It had to cost so much money to get all these songs. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking um, at the list, and there's, like, Leonard Skinner and Rolling Stones and Bob Dylan on here, so... Definitely. Yeah, definitely. 
Uh, oh, they got Black Betty on here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Betty, bah, bah, bah. <laughs> they, they have uh, Blinded by the Light, the Man for Man song. There's like this whole montage of them like when they first bring the cocaine to the U.S. And there's like pictures of them with celebrities. I'm assuming they went out and took these pictures of, of the actors with these different celebrities and staged it for this. But there's like giant bricks of fake cocaine sitting by them and stuff and like... It's like a whole montage set to Blinded by the Light. <laughs> Pretty badass. And then at, it ends with them walking through a house that they're renting that is literally full of money. And when I mean literally full of money, I mean they have a hallway made in between the stacks of fucking money that they have in this house. Yeah, I think I've seen <laughs> bits and pieces of this, but I don't think I've seen the full movie. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. I I didn't look to see where this one is available at for streaming. Just look, I'll look uh, on Apple TV for you. It is on nothing. Cinemax. Cinemax. I'll say nothing that Apple TV I have. So. Yeah, it looks like the only way you can stream this is via via a Cinemax subscription now. Um, like you could you could add that though to your Prime channels or whatever. They probably have a free trial. But I'll say I know I, a lot of people have probably seen this. So. Yeah, and on IMDb it doesn't even list the Cinemax thing, so I don't know. Yeah, that's not for sure. You know, investigate that. But this movie's pretty obtainable. You can get a Blu-ray for like ten dollars or less, I believe, and probably could rent it for fairly cheap on VOD. Yeah, but I think it's a really good. It's like probably my favorite biopic of of this type. Kind of my closing thought. I want to end it with with a quote from the movie. So in the end, was it worth it? It's lockdown time. Jesus Christ. How irreparably changed my life has become. It's always the last day of summer and I've been left out in the cold with no door to get back in. I'll grant you I've had more than my share of poignant moments. Life passes most people by while they're making grand plans for it. Throughout my lifetime, I've left pieces of my heart here and there. And now there's almost not enough to stay alive. But I force a smile, knowing that my ambition far exceeded my talent. There are no more white horses or pretty ladies at my door. And I, I like that. That's like his kind of closing thought uh, in the movie, and that's kind of a good, I think, closing thought to represent the movie. That uh, It's like, it's, it's the story of a man who's kind of left bits and pieces of himself here and there, and has went through some rough shit that most of it was his doing, but rough nonetheless. And he kind of, he, he feels like he did way more than he ever thought he'd be able to do still. So, I don't know, it's like him coming to terms with, he's fucked his life up, but that he's trying to find some positivity in it. Yeah. And I think that's a, a hard situation with biopics about real people too, is like, do you want to glamorize it? Because there's a lot, like, I mean, people are obsessed with, like, serial killers and get tattoos of Ed Bundy right. and all this crazy stuff, you know? And, like, right. are are we as a society over-glamorizing these criminals? I, I definitely think that there is a little bit of that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it, and it definitely, like, it surely left out, like, because this guy definitely killed people. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, and, like, probably left He doesn't... Out. Yeah, he doesn't kill anyone in this movie. Um, so, you know, it, it, which is, I like that because it tells his story, 
but also I could see why people would have a problem with that, you know? Uh, it, and I, I recommend, you know, also watching a documentary about this so that you can see what the real George was like, you know, and kind of see the side of him that they don't show in the movie. But, but I also think it's a, it's a, it's a great well-made story. Yeah. You got anything else you want to add to, uh, Blow? I don't think so. Um, you know, kids don't do cocaine. <laughs> What's your first pick, Nick? Uh, so my first pick is going to be the oldest movie talked about on this here podcast. Uh, the 1946 film, The Postman Always Rings Twice. And there okay. was an 80s remake of this starring Jack Nicholson that people like a lot, too. I can't speak for that one, but I've only seen this the, the 1946 version. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I'm sure the stories are similar. You could probably seek out either version. Uh, it's on uh, HBO Max. The 1946 version is on HBO Max. Okay, yeah, I don't. If I've seen one, it's definitely the the Jack Nicholson one. But I don't even know if I've seen it. Um, yeah, but it's a classic film noir. I'm a big fan of film noir, so I kind of with my picks, I did a uh, one film noir. And then one neo noir, which would be the next one. But uh, okay. It's um directed by Tay Garnett, and it stars Lena Turner and John Garfield. And it stars, or it um opens with he's like a drifter, like just hitchhiking on the side of the road. He gets picked up by this like lawyer and dropped off at this diner, and there he meets the owner of the diner and gets a job there. And then he starts like a a little fling with the owner of the diner's wife, and they uh, plot to kill her husband. <laughs> in classic, classic, yeah, in, in, in classic film noir style. But I will say there is the reason I put this one is I think the third act is really strong, and it will definitely surprise you with some of the places it goes because. The climax of the film happens like halfway through. Like what you think is gonna happen, it happens halfway through. So like, oh okay. There's more after that, you know. And uh, yeah, so they try to stage the the killing as an accident, and they actually fuck it up once. And the the husband is like, you know, he's getting out of the bathtub, I think, and he like falls and hits his head or something. So he doesn't really remember it, but so they fuck it up once. But uh, yeah. Um, and then they, uh, you know, okay. Yeah, because they're trying to make it look like an accident so that uh, uh, Lena Turner's character, Cora Smith, who is the wife of um, Nick Smith, who is the owner of the diner, so that she can get the uh, the diner. Because okay. she, yeah, she wants to run it herself. And back with in, her, you know... With I, her new fella. Yeah. <laughs> or is she... But it's it's like the classic femme fatale thing of like... Right, is she it, it, gonna kill this it, guy too? Yeah, it, it, she's definitely using him for her own means, and I definitely think her performance is fantastic and a really iconic uh, performance. You keep straight on. Well, I've always wanted to see Malibu Lake, and it's only a few miles to the other road. Okay. Are you sure you can go through with it? After seeing that, I can go through anything. All right. Come on, let's get down there. We gotta mess ourselves up so we can prove we've been in the accident too. Right. Come on. And really, just a really good script. And as I said, like it definitely goes places you 
maybe wouldn't suspect. Yeah, it's it sounds it sounds like especially with you saying that the climax happens halfway through, like that's appealing to me. Like I love movies where it's like you're like what? this shit feels like it's over and we're thirty minutes in. Like what's about to happen? You know, like it, and you like yeah. don't know what's coming. I love that feeling. Yeah, because you know, like in a classic film noir, you know they plot to kill the husband, then the husband dies at the end. But obviously in this one, it happens halfway, and then it's you know them dealing with the ramifications of it, the rest of it. You know? Right. Right. Which and I guess kind is, of diving into the psych, you know, like we talked about at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, and that I always love this too about film noir is like how the title plays into the plot and like. It's super, like, because oftentimes it doesn't hit you till the very end. You're like, oh, that's why it's called that. And I really like that. Um, and this one yeah. does it particularly well. Okay. Yeah, I was curious. I'm Like, what's the postman got to do with it? Because you told me all this plot, and there's nothing about a mailman. So I'm curious <laughs> what the reference is here to this. I'm going to yeah, have to check this out on HBO yeah, Max. Yeah, it's on HBO Max. Um, I mean, it's in black and white. But I don't think that'd be an issue for you. But yeah. maybe, I was, yeah, I don't, yeah, no, no, it's not definitely, at all for me. I'd say it's it's very classic film noir. You know, it's not. I, I dig a black and white movie. Yeah, I really like black and white too. It's like, like the absence of color almost brings out the color. It, it brings out times. the detail in it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely there's some modern movies that look absolutely phenomenal with like HD cameras and uh, like one we talked black. about on on here in Nebraska. That's a gorgeous yeah. fucking movie. Yeah, or you got a uh, Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse. Yes, yeah, definitely. That's a good one too. Yeah, there's a lot of black and white. Definitely, I think like obviously back then it wasn't done for that reason, but right. Watching them now, like, because like the I have a Blu-ray of this, and like the HD transfer looks phenomenal. You know, still. So like, I think yeah. the the style holds up. Yeah, definitely. It's like it's timeless. You know. I guess. Uh, what's your next pick? Okay, so my next pick is uh, a very, very dark entry. The darkest, probably, entry on my list. Uh, and it's also based on real events. A movie called The Snowtown Murders from 2011, directed by Justin Kurzel, which this is his directorial debut. Yeah, he won, uh, I, he won all kinds of awards for this uh, when it came out. I think he yeah, won the sun, like the Sundance award for like best new director or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that tr- that tracks because this is some powerful shit, man. And it's <laughs> oh, it's harrowing to watch. Uh, I've you know I'm gonna hit you before I get into the plot even with you know don't watch this if you're triggered by like sexual assault and stuff because there are multiple that take place in this movie, uh, oftentimes between family members and it's. It's rough to watch. It makes you very, very uneasy, and it's just it's hard to it's hard to stomach. But if you if you can stomach it, there's a incredibly powerful film here. The Snowtown Murders were a, a real series of murders um, that happened. I, I'm kind of gonna I'm not gonna talk about the plot of the movie really, but I'm just gonna talk about the crime because that's what the movie's about. Um, yeah, and it's a it's an Australian film too, so like a lot of like American audiences weren't aware of this. And we right, talked. Yeah, about I had this. no idea. We talked about this before. Uh, so the movie's called Snowtown, but when they transferred it over to the U.S., they renamed it the Snowtown Murders because 
if they just had Snowtown, people wouldn't know what it was. They're like, oh, is this a Christmas movie? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if so. I saw Snowtown, I wouldn't associate it with this like an Australian person would, you know? Yeah. Like, um, I'll say over there, like, they hear Snowtown and they know immediately what it is. But over here, right. they had to name it the Snowtown Murders. Yeah, definitely a smart move, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> they were committed by John Bunting, Robert Wagner, and James Vlaskis. Uh, between August 1992 and May of 1999 in and around Adelaide, South Australia. Uh, A fourth person named Mark Hayden was convicted for helping them dispose of the bodies, and it was one of the most publicized and longest trials in Australian legal history. Uh, The bodies, most of them anyway, were found in barrels uh, in an abandoned bank vault in Snowtown, uh, which is why they called it the Snowtown Murders. Um, Only one of the victims excuse me, only one of the victims was actually killed in Snowtown itself, uh, which is like 80-some miles north of Adelaide, where most of them happened. Um, but the motivation for the murders is is unclear. The killers were led to believe by John Bunting, the guy who kind of is heading up everything, that, uh, or who is providing information anyway that the victims were pedophiles, uh, homosexuals, or weak individuals. And in the case of some of the victims, the murders, like, they tortured them and uh, tried to, like, remove eyeballs and stuff to, like, make it hard to identify them and fingers and stuff. Like, it's very, very brutal. Uh, And it shows a lot of this stuff happening. Like, it doesn't cut away. that's kind of the general idea of what goes down in the movie. You see, you follow the family who kind of gets sucked into this whole thing, who uh, the, the boys of this family are attacked by a predator who lives across the street while he's babysitting them, and this guy gets wind of it, wherein he kind of moves into their house and starts a weird relationship with their mother and kind of sucks one of the brothers into being his accomplice in this whole thing. Like I said before, it's it's extremely harrowing the events that take place and stuff, and it's uh, I, like it's crazy that I didn't even know about this. Like as as terrible as this stuff is, that more people didn't like hear about it happening. You know how isolated it seems to be. Yeah, you've seen this also, haven't you? Yes, I have. It's been yeah, a it's, it's been uh, a while. Cause I, I saw it. When I first got Netflix, probably in 20, kind of think, 13 maybe. So it's been a while since I've seen it. It's definitely not something I watch again from what I remember. <laughs> like, yeah, this it, is it, this is probably not a movie I'd watch again either. It's hard to watch. Yeah, it's definitely a hard watch, but it also, as you said, it's kind of powerful because of how. Uh, it's definitely a movie you're not gonna forget watching, you know, or like yes. Yes, it absolutely sticks with you. Yeah. Um, and I should say shout out to uh, Robert Woods, who recommended me this movie. That's how I, I had never even heard of this. And I was talking to Robert one night after this, after the screening we did in the Discord, actually, of, of uh, Duel and Duel on the River. And he, um, we, we were just kind of trading wrecks, and he said that this movie was, we got, somehow got on the, the topic of like dark stuff, you know, and this, this was one he said, that I should watch, that he thought I would find to be pretty powerful, and I, I appreciate it, Robert. Thank you for the wreck because it uh it was indeed powerful. Yeah, and I don't. Did you say where it's streaming at? 
Uh, no, it's, I did not. It's on AMC it, Plus. Yeah, I was gonna say it's, it was on one of my streaming services. So I think it was AMC. Yeah, it's on um, AMC Plus or IFC Films Unlimited. Okay, yeah, great movie, hard to watch, phenomenal directorial debut. Like it's definitely well deserved those awards. Yeah, and as you know, I'm a big fan of Justin Kurtzel's other work, so uh, definitely, uh, definitely has a uh, kind of blossomed from there i think and i'm very I, i'm he's like one of those directors that i'll watch anything that he makes so i really like yeah I'm, I'm definitely interested to check out more of his works now and you've recommended me a couple so that's probably where i'll go next macbeth is probably where i'll start yeah yeah there's that uh the kelly gang movie too which is like another bio pick ish yeah yeah i added that one to the list also it seemed like something i would be into what kind of more of this similar hard-hitting crime story yep well, what's uh, your second pick, Nick? All right, so the first pick was a film noir. Now I'm going to do a neo-noir um, released in 1981, directed by, this is going to be interesting, Lawrence Kasten, which might not sound familiar, but he wrote uh, The Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Nice. And those were his first ever published screenwriting credits jesus christ <laughs> he had written other stuff and i guess sold it to spielberg or before but like those were the first two that were released i believe okay okay and yeah, that's is... what talk about what a like how do you follow that up like yeah, the expectations it... that would be surrounding you at that point <laughs> yeah i mean you could live off of those i mean either one of those you could live off of for life you know <laughs> yeah exactly but uh yeah this is his directorial debut and it's uh it stars William Hurt and Kathleen Turner and it's about uh Ned Racine uh who is William uh, played by William Hurt is a CD small town lawyer in Florida during a searing heat wave he's picked up by married Maddie Walker a passionate affair commences but it isn't long before they realize the only thing standing in their way is Maddie's rich husband Edmund a plot hatches to kill him but will they pull it off so once again it's that very classic you know there's probably a hundred plus film noirs with this plot line right and it's always interesting how they slightly tweak it and uh this movie's actually like a loose remake of double indemnity which is like probably the classic like the, the most quintessent like if you're gonna watch one film noir double indemnity yeah. is the one like that movie is yeah, a bona fide classic and i think like the best one but uh this one is like a an 80s inspired version of it um and this movie is very uh because on wikipedia even it says uh in america it's it's an um an american neo-noir erotic thriller so it's definitely very much more 80s than the 40s like the 40s movie i just did uh the postman always rings twice where it's a lot more sexual and like yeah i was gonna say sexual stuff was a no-go in movies during the 40s you know yeah so. for sure and then like this is like that 80s and it's it's set in like a heat wave in florida so like everyone's sweating and <laughs> um you know it's starting that's kind of a good a good comparison like um like I was talking about with the Scarface and the Scarface remake thing. Same kind of thing of, of like, the first one kind of hints at the brother-sister thing. The fucking 80s one dives right into it in a kind of almost gross way, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so kind of that same thing. 
Yeah, I always like that, like when a like a film noir is remade into a neo noir, and like you see them, like just updated slightly, like a uh, oh, what's the name of this one? It's Claude Charbel's um, The Unfaithful Wife was remade as Unfaithful in like two thousand two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that Richard movie. Gear film. Yeah, and that probably is like one one of my favorite remix ever. It's really good, and they definitely they changed the ending of it too to make it uh more interesting. I think oh, did they? Okay, I've never seen the original. I've only yeah, seen the, that one with Richard Gear. The original, the original is great too. Um, they're both really good. But uh, yeah, I always like that how like a remake will update stuff, and Body Heat definitely um does that. I'm trying to think of which streaming service it's on. It's hard because I just have oh. the Blu-ray of everything, so I never really... <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, it is on yeah, HBO. That's the thing with Blow. And... Yeah, it's on HBO Max as well. So uh, both my first two picks on HBO Max. Okay, um, cool. And, and cool. once again, the, the reason I picked this one is the ending. I, I love the third act of this one. And that really is a, a common theme. I think that's... For me, is like... Because the plots are always the same, pretty much, for the first half of the movie. It's how they handle that second half and differ and make it unique that I always yeah. love. And this one definitely um, <laughs> has some interesting things happen, and like it's very much a, a guessing game until the very end. I'm a married woman. Meaning what? Meaning I'm not looking for company. You should have said I'm a happily married woman. That's my business. What? How happy I am. And how happy is that? You're not too smart, are you? <laughs> I like that in a man. What else do you like? Lazy, ugly, horny? I got them all. You don't look lazy. <laughs> Tell me, does chat like this work with most women? But definitely, the, the script of this one is the highlight. And uh, the aesthetic, like it being in the Florida heat wave, is very unique, too. And you don't, I mean, like... As I said, because it's like super, like it, it transfers through the film in a way that's like there's no mistaking that as a Florida heat wave throughout the movie, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's and like it's. A, I also like Ted Danson quite a bit. Like, yeah, yeah, he's in it too. And and he's I see he's in it, and Mickey Rourke, I like him also. I see he's in it. Uh, yeah, definitely so one of the. I definitely one I would check out. Yeah, definitely a classic neo noir. Um, What's your next well, my pick? yeah my my third pick is uh, a movie that I actually just discovered and I think it's like I can't believe I've never heard anybody mention this before. Uh, I randomly found it on Netflix. It's called Mindhorn, a 2016 film by Sean Foley. Yeah, um, and uh, you told and, me about this one last night, and I was like, "That's definitely an Evan movie." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's super over the top. I'm the actor Richard Thorncroft. You know me from the hit TV detective show Mindhorn. He could literally see truth. Looks like a fun show, but in real life, crime isn't fun. Studies have shown that 20% of all cinema goers are potential thieves, especially in working class areas. So look to your left and look to your right. You could be sitting next to a thief. Easy. <laughs> Run along, Sonny Jim. So keep an eye on your bloody belongings, will you? Because I won't always be here to keep an eye on you. It's about uh, act a guy named Richard Thorncroft, who's a kind of washed-up TV actor that he played in this old detective show called Mindhorn. That 
he was this guy named Bruce Mindhorn that had a cybernetic eye that was like <laughs> they call it an optical lie detector. <laughs> so an it enables him to see lie. the truth. <laughs> he can see the truth. <laughs> and it sounds super uh, camp. Like the definitely sh- the show or see I don't know so like it's in the, in the, the style kind of carries over to the movie itself too. Oh, okay. I was going to say, because like the show in the thing is super campy, but I don't know if the movie itself is campy. Yeah, the movie itself is definitely campy also. Um, but I think it's not campy in one of those ways where you like roll your eyes at it. You know, it's campy in like a charming way. Um, yeah. Yeah, this seems very much in like the vein of uh, like maybe Psycho Gorman or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, it's charming in that same kind of way as Psycho Gorman. Yeah. What's that other one that um, was uh, referenced in that man board or wolf cop? <laughs> yeah, remember. wolf both 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 of those exist. <laughs> yeah, Manborg is uh is uh Stephen Kostansky's first movie. Yeah, and Mindhorn seems similar. Yeah, that style. Yeah, definitely, and it's like it definitely is like uh, I think more higher like higher quality it doesn't have that like gritty grindhouse look like uh like those movies do but it it definitely has that like kind of 70s cheese to it uh but he (laughs) he the movie's not set during him making the show so this is just the story of the show that he was on and it's set 25 years later on the isle of man which is a small uh island i believe in the uk uh, where it was filmed and there's basically a police hunt for this escaped lunatic named paul melly who they think murdered some people and melly is kind of mentally not like he's got some kind of mental disability and he's he's not like in touch with reality really and he says that the only cop he's going to talk to is detective mindhorn because he thinks that mindhorn is a real person and not a TV detective. So I was just gonna say this almost sounds like the plot of a sitcom, <laughs> right? They <laughs> like, could totally spin this too. The way it ends, they could uh, like Netflix make a fucking show of this. I swear it would be brilliant. They could do so much with the show of this. Yeah, because it's like um, you know he he played he played a TV cop, but now he has to play real cop. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Uh. But he says he'll only talk to Mindhorn, and so Richard Thorncroft, the guy who played Mindhorn, is now washed up and does, like, TV commercials for, like, elderly people's girdles and, like, heel supports and stuff. Like, just shitty, like, TV commercial spots, you know? And he wants to, like, boost his career. He's, like, having this discussion with his agent, and she brings up, well, the police called from the Isle of Man... And said, they want you to come back and play Mindhorn. And he was pissed. He's like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going back to that place. I left it long ago to come to Hollywood. Da 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 da. And she basically says, well, that's the only offer you have right now. So he does it. And they're trying to spin it into like a publicity thing. And he goes back to this island. He meets his old flame uh, who played in the show with him. Who's now a reporter there on the Island of Man. And is married to the person he hated the most on the set, his stunt double. <laughs> and it's like every situation that you think could, could like, you're like, you can't get any worse for this guy. Then it, it immediately does. <laughs> it's like he just gets shit on so hard for like the first 
probably hour of this movie. And he's like, he brings a lot of it on himself too because he's he's kind of a, a dip sometimes. Like he'll do shit that you're like, man, come on. <laughs> and it's like, it all works though because it, it never takes itself too seriously. No, they know what kind of movie they're trying to make. And anytime you feel like you're about to roll your eyes, they immediately hit you with like a belly laugh moment where like something, they it's the setup for something just wacky and hilarious. And I think the jokes really hit. Uh, and maybe it's just again, it's comedy's tough. It's my sense of humor, you know. But it's got a it's got a great cast: Julian Barrett, who also wrote the movie, um, S. C. Davis, Simon Farnaby, and Steve Coogan, as well as Andrea Risborough. It's super cheesy, but it's good slapstick fun uh, that has a ton of laughs and and it's, it's on uh, it's on Netflix, which everybody yeah. in the world has pretty much. Yeah. Well, Pretty yeah, much, yeah. Pretty much everyone in the world has. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely some countries don't have access to it, but if your country has it, you probably have it. <laughs> but yeah, and it's it's short, too. It's only like an hour and 28 minutes, uh, so it doesn't overstay its welcome. And it's, it goes, the story goes to some predictable places, but also to some surprising places, I think. And never fails to be painstakingly funny. The moon was hot, the time was right, and you were looking so good. Our body heat was rising, I thought you understood. We had some fun together, but I never, I never promised you forever. It's not my style. No, no, no. Hey, yeah, what's your next pick? Uh, my next pick is probably my favorite of my picks and definitely the one i recommend the most because of how current and timely it is and it's actually only five dollars to buy on apple tv so i'm assuming it's cheap on other services too <laughs> it is the 2018 film uh blind spotting uh directed by carlos lopez estrada um and written by david diggs and rafael casal who are real childhood friends and uh david diggs okay. you might know from um he played thomas jefferson in lin-manuel miranda's hamilton the stage play he also uh is in the i, I guess you call him experimental hip-hop group clipping and their uh album visions of bodies being burned great uh horror themed hip-hop album uh, wait well, i'm sorry i'm sorry what <laughs> I gotta look that up. <laughs> uh, they were brought up. Uh, I don't remember if it was in the episode, but uh, when uh, we did the poser episode with Jerry and Jake, uh, we were talking about clipping. Because my Bryce, I brought that up oh, blind spotting, okay. and we were talking about clipping. And they said that they almost put a clipping song in there <laughs> in the movie. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. Now. Okay. Don't move nothing. Statue. Shoot about to go nuts. Cashew. Need cash off books. Pass through. Real cheese for the cooks. Yeah, but that's uh, okay. David Diggs. Yeah, he co-wrote it, and they both also star in it. Um, and this this is this might uh, turn some people off, but I just I find this fascinating that he went from this to this. But the director, uh, his next movie after this was uh, Raya and the Last Dragon. <laughs> he co-directed it. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, that's a <laughs> so strange uh, next like step. You know what I mean? Like going from blind spotting to that. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but this is like a, it's a crime drama, um, 
and it's about uh david diggs character who is colin uh he's on his like last few i think it's like when the movie starts it's like three days left on his parole or maybe it's like two or one but uh He's like on the last few days of his of his parole. He was a convicted felon and he's trying to, you know, turn his life around. And his best friend, uh what's his name? Uh, Miles Turner, uh is a really bad influence, and pretty much everyone Colin knows, like, is like, hey, stop hanging out with him. He's bad news. He's gonna get you in trouble again. So the movie is him. On his last few days of parole, trying to not get in trouble. <laughs> and, okay. Yeah, it's a it's a very it's kind of mumblecore too in a way. I think. Um, I was gonna say this sounds like something I would like. Yeah, I think you would absolutely like. I I would almost bank on it being a five star Evan movie. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's incredible and as i said it's like timely because it also deals with uh it's set in oakland and it deals with the idea of him you know because like oakland is like it's like booming it's thriving you know and they're like stuck at this job of uh they work for a moving company and uh so like they're stuck at that dead-end job and like you know things are going looking up around them around the city and they're still like in the bottom of it you know so like it's that sort of you know, I don't know. It's a very, uh, I think a very relevant movie. And it ends with one of the greatest endings I've ever seen in any movie. And it ties into it because, or ties into what I was talking earlier about him being in an experimental hip hop group because it does involve a rap, which is kind of cool. And it's really uh, okay. powerful. And Davi Diggs kills it. Um, yeah, this this definitely like I gotta watch this. What where where can you watch it at? You said as I said, I I'm not sure, but it is five dollars on uh, Apple TV, so I'm assuming it's pretty cheap. Perfect. Around. Okay. Yeah, because it's like it's, I'm gonna try to get a Blu-ray. I think because I think it's one I should buy. Yeah, the Blu-ray is pretty cheap too. Um, but yeah, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal movie, and uh, actually in the beginning of the movie too. So uh, this will tie into the plot later but it kind of is not relevant for a lot of the movie but um he witnesses a police officer shooting an unarmed suspect while he's at a traffic light like talk about timely right yeah and i mean this movie's from 2018 so it's pretty recent and uh you know that kind of experience like sticks with him throughout the rest of the movie and it like because he's like trying to reevaluate his life and you know, he, right. he, you know, thinks Miles is still, as I said, like, everyone thinks that Miles is a bad influence, which he clearly is, too, but, like, he can't let go of that relationship, that friendship that he has with him. It's, like, all that he right. has, you know? So it's, like, it's a very uh, powerful movie about relationships and family and, you know, trying hey, to make it out. amazing. I'm, I'm definitely going to watch this. Yeah, definitely the one out of my five that I would recommend the most because it's I like if you were to make a list of movies that people should see before they die, this should be on there. <laughs> yeah, like it's, this yeah, is that makes the sense. definition of a must see. And it also I'm actually not sure because I haven't watched it, but it has a spinoff sequel television show following the wife of Miles. Uh, oh, OK. 
Yeah, so I'm not sure. I think Davi Diggs um, still writes on it, but they don't star in it. Okay, okay. So it follows the wife of uh, Miles. Yeah, that's, yeah it, that's cool. And, and I, I like all the kind of, like, the tie into the hip-hop stuff and the, the mumblecore aspect. You know, that really appeals to me. I love mumblecore films, so I definitely, oh, yeah. this is up my alley. Yeah, I'll say it was released to pretty much critical acclaim and won a bunch of awards at Sundance. And this is interesting. Uh, it says Barack Obama named Blind Spotting among his favorite films of 2018. So uh, hell yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's got the That's Barack an endorsement Obama, if I've ever heard yeah, it. Yeah, Barack Obama stamp of approval. <laughs> for sure, that's that's the, a sell for me. Oh, what is this? I would like to get out. Oh. I got three days left on this probation, Miles, so let me Come on, on man, out. You gotta let me hold one of these. Yeah, that you can continue for your gun deal. Yeah. One in the little visor thing right there. The visor? Oh, yeah. Of course there's oh, one in the visor. Oh, my goodness. Precious me. The one in my Look pocket. Very nice. Why are there six guns in your car, Dad? Oh, Colin, man, I like yours. Right here, Yo, that this is, is not dope. mine. Also, that? stop pointing that at me. They're not loaded, bro. Those are for show loaded. Oh, okay. Okay. See? Oh, get the f out. I just got an Uber pickup. <laughs> you got it. Mother, is this an Uber? Hell yeah. Money everywhere I can well, I get it, homie. That's sad. You can go my, on uh, Yeah, my next movie kind of is also in the same boat of, of its sort of a crime movie. Um, it's, it's Green Room, the 2015 film by Jeremy Saulnier. Uh, which oh, that, is, was, that was the tie, and I forgot to mention it. <laughs> I yeah. forgot about that aspect. But yeah, blind spotting. He's like trying to not get in trouble, so they're like not committing crimes, but they kind of are around it. So it's like. Right, it, it, it's a crime movie in that sense, you know, and he like right, which falls into her. Yeah, we talked about like our umbrella, you know, of crime movies at the beginning. It definitely falls into that because it's yeah, centered see. around crime, you know. Yeah, and he's like on parole, trying not to be put back on parole, you know. <laughs> right. So uh, definitely, uh, but yeah, you can go ahead with uh, Green Green Room. <laughs> yeah, Green Room is kind of similar in the sense that it's uh, people witness a crime taking place. Um, four friends. Pat, who is played by Anton Yelkin, Sam, played by Aaliyah Shawcott, Reese, played by Joe Cole, and Tiger, played by Callum Turner, wake up in their van, and they are on the road. They're a punk, a punk rock band called The Ain't Rights, and they slept all night with the engine on, so they kind of, I guess, not even kind of, they, they siphon some gas to get them back on the road. They steal gas from another car. And that immediately sets up, you know, these kids are super punk rock. And they go to this, this bar to do a show. And at the show, they witness in, like, the back room a person being killed. And immediately, they're like, we got to get the fuck out of here and stuff. And they're going to leave. And they're, like, they're literally, like, about to be out the door. And... One of the girls in the band, I believe it's Sam, is the is the character, forgets her uh, her phone, and the, and the setup she goes back in there to classic, get classic classic movie. Right? one character forgets <laughs> anything and it costs everyone their life. You know, <laughs> right? And she, she she just walks up to the room, doesn't knock or anything, and opens the door, and that's when she sees the guy get stabbed, and they're like, 
all right, well, you're not going anywhere. You know, like they don't, they won't let them leave after that. And turns out the the bar is ran by like neo-Nazi skinheads, and that's why they got booed so hard when they got on the stage and played a song called Nazi Nazi punks fuck off, and. So they kind of quickly switch to another song, and and like this is kind of the follow up to you realize why you know, and that this there's like a hate crime they've just witnessed take place, and they're fucked now. They're in a bad situation, and it's it's kind of the the rest of the movie is like the the band being like barricaded in this room in this back of this bar trying to figure out what the fuck they're going to do and how they're not how they're going to get out of here without being killed and this is by far one of the most violent movies that I've seen in recent years uh there's a scene right in the beginning where one of the bandmates sticks their hand out the door to get something from people cuz they're like doing some sort of trade off where they're going to reach out there and get something a phone or something and uh he sticks his hand out the door and it, he, when he pulls that bitch, they just like attack it with knives. And like when he pulls it back in the door, it is just absolutely mangled. And like, this is a, a hardcore movie, but I think it's super intense and it's paced to where you're on the edge of your seat kind of the whole time. And they're kind of put in the mix of this, of this fucked up place and also kind of other people are thrown into the mix as well who are involved with the crime. Uh, an actress you may know, Imogene Poots, is one of the, the characters in the bar that they meet who gets involved with the same, is part of this situation. And uh, Yeah. Yeah, and I've seen this one too, and it's phenomenal. And I, it, I feel like it'd be really hard to make a best thrillers of the 2010s without putting this on there. <laughs> it's Absolutely. Kind of, yeah, yeah, like I think anyone with any sort of credibility is going to put this on a best of 2010 thrillers. Yeah, for sure. And I, J- Jeremy Solnier in general, I think the, the two I've seen from him are phenomenal. I got to see hold the dark. Uh, yeah, but it's blue ruin and, and green room are, are both phenomenal movies. And I am so excited for, this is like one of those guys, like for me, like you said that I'll watch anything he makes from, from here on out, you know? But yeah, it's I also got a hardcore ass soundtrack uh, with punk songs and and heavy metal songs and stuff, and um, it's just so over the top violent and it's so in your face. This movie doesn't give a fuck how you feel while you're watching it. Uh, it's like it 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 wants to shock you and to it, it the movie embodies the feeling of of punk. I feel like. Like yeah, it's a very punk movie just from the visual style too. It's very gritty looking. Yeah, punk movie. Yeah, um, absolutely. Everything looks so dirty did, and like run down. Did you mention where people can watch it? Uh, this one is on Showtime. It's available via uh like Hulu or Amazon if you want to add it uh like a channel on there. Yeah, and then I I assume there's a standalone Showtime streaming app too. Y- yes, because I I have- don't. Yeah, I have it. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's what I was going to say. I have the Blu-ray of this one, so I wasn't sure. Yeah. Um, it's also a cheap Blu-ray. You can get the Blu-ray for, for I think, 10 15 bucks at most. Yeah, definitely. Um, also, uh, this movie features one of my favorite people working in films right now, Macon Blair. Uh, 
and who is who is the star of of uh Jeremy Saulnier's first film but and who also is is kind of doing well, was doing crime movies now he's doing Toxic Avenger but he's got a crime movie also that's on Netflix that you should check out kind of a side wreck off green room here called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, which was his directorial debut, and it's got Elijah Wood and uh, Melanie Linsky in it, and it's a, a great, kind of a little more comedic. Uh, it's way lighter than uh, Green Room, but also a great movie. Yeah, I guess my, my closing thought, though, for Green Room, fuck Nazis. Always a good closing uh, thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I guess you well, want me to go. What's your, uh, yeah, what's, what's your fourth pick here, man? All right, so my fourth pick is um, the 20... Uh, I want to say it's 2020, but it came out in 20... It's either 2020 or 2021. Uh, movie Kajillionaire, directed by Miranda July. And it is on... This is H- one I've always wanted to see, man. Yeah. Uh, it's on HBO Max. Um, but it stars... Better get on that. Yeah. Evan Rachel Wood, Deborah Winger and Richard Jenkins as, like, a family of scam artists, I guess you'd say. So, like, Deborah Winger and Richard Jenkins are the parents, and uh, they have raised Evan Rachel Wood's character, whose name is Old Dolio, which is kind of an interesting name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, but they've raised her in this, like... They do like literal little petty crimes and scams to to make it by, so like that's all that they know. Like that's their whole. And this one I would consider a black comedy, and uh, okay, yeah, like they live in. A, they they pay five hundred dollars a month to live in this like office building that's attached to a <laughs> soap factory, and the soap from the soap factory leaks into the walls, so they have to like mop like they have to like put blanket or like towels on the wall so that it doesn't like get all over all what of their the stuff fuck? <laughs> yeah so like it's just it's like i don't it doesn't ever really matter but it's just like it's kind of like it just shows that like they live somewhere super like you don't want to live but uh, right yeah that's crazy yeah it's clear that they but don't they live in a side room of the of the being john malkovich building yeah <laughs> some absurd like weird place like that um yeah but like they just I don't know, it's like they don't have any friends or family or anything. They just kind of like live the three of them. And they're very, they're very quiet people. And old Dolio especially is like, you could tell that it's like stunted her ability to just be herself, you know? Like she has no personality really in her interactions with other people is like, it seems like it's the first time she's ever interacted with anybody. (laughs) Um, yeah, this is I didn't I didn't know this aspect of it that she, it was kind of like she was sheltered kind of thing like a yeah. Grigsby bear kind of like they're they're you know holding her from the world. Yes. Um, yeah, but I'll get into in a second the the crux of the plot I guess. Um, so they're behind on their rent of their office building and they get these free tickets to <laughs> I think they do like a, a fun I forget what the scam or the thing was and they uh d- they end up not getting cash for it. And they end up getting tickets to fly to New York, which, like, obviously is not cash, so they can't pay off their back rent and stuff. Right. Uh, so old Dolio comes up with this idea that she's going to use the tickets, the plane tickets, to fly to um, New York with, you know, the, all three of them go together. 
And the scam is going to be, she's going to purchase the travel insurance. And uh, the parents are going to steal the luggage. And then Old Dolio is going to claim the insurance and get the money for that. <laughs> for the lost luggage. What a what a, a incredibly roundabout way to go about getting some money and running. A <laughs> yeah, scam. so so essentially <laughs> they get a free flight back and forth, and then you know they you know steal the thing. But while they're there, they end up running into uh, Melanie Whitaker, who's played by Gina Rodriguez, who kind of becomes the fourth member of this little group of uh, scam artists and she's very resourceful too and she's very hip and like modern and old Dolio kind of gets introduced to a lot of the things that she sheltered from through Melanie and their relationship is very uh I, don't, I like how it forms throughout the movie and I like to because like the parents kind of like Melanie more than old Dolio so like you could sense that yeah. sort of jealousy and like old Joel old Dolio's like, why do you treat her better than me? You know? So, like, a lot of that plays into it, too. But it's a very, uh... It's like a family drama, crime film, and black comedy. It's got a lot of elements to it, but I think it works really well. Um, and just, yeah, I always wanted to see this, just solely based on, like, just the, the general premise and the, and the, the cast. Because I think... I love Evan Rachel Wood, and I think Richard Jenkins is, like brilliant comedic actor i think he's so good yeah uh gina rodriguez too is absolutely great in this she's also in annihilation which we talked about in the uh sci-fi episode yes um yeah but i'm trying to think of what else i mean i guess that's pretty much it yeah so like they pick up uh melanie as uh they're like fourth person kind of so like she's yeah, it's kind of hard to explain, but uh, yeah, she's like kind of there, like becomes like a person that they communicate with throughout the rest of the movie through their brief interaction. Uh, and they come up with different ways to get money. <laughs> Super. Yeah, th this was also produced by Brad Pitt. Was it really? I actually didn't know. Yeah. That. Yeah, I was just reading here about it. I pulled it up while you, while we were talking about it and, and you were talking about the plot and I just saw that uh, Brad Pitt and Yori Henley produced. So, yeah, uh, interesting. I'm curious if it counts as a 2020 or 2021 movie because I feel like Evan Rachel Wood in this movie is like awards worthy, like very different performance and just a really memorable character. And like her being awakened throughout the movie is very cool. Really well done. Hmm, okay. Yeah, this is uh, this is something like I said I wanted to check out, and you definitely just cemented it as a like I'll probably watch this this week because I this seems like another at uh, this and and uh, blind spotting both seem like Evan ass movies. Yeah, yeah, and this one's very uh, mumblecore too, like very much like just about the people and not much. Yeah, like an absurdist mumblecore kind of. Yeah, as I said, it's very black comedy. Like the, the soap thing that that cracked me up. Like the first time I saw, it, I'm like, "What are they doing? And why do they live in a soap factory office building? And you know, just sleep in like cubicles and shit?" So like they each have their own little cubicle, you know? Like what the heck is going yeah. on here? <laughs> and then they like mopping up the soap and making sure it doesn't get all over their stuff. 
Just like what? Yeah, that's so crazy that the soap's coming out of the walls and shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> what a what a cool idea. Just so out of the box. Like, I I think I said this in the Discord the other day. Is I love filmmakers who not only do they think outside of the box, but they just disregard the fucking box entirely. You know, and just do something that's wholly original. That sounds like definitely that. Yeah, and I believe this is also. Uh, I want to verify. It is not a directorial debut. Oh, okay. But uh, definitely a director who I'm going to keep an eye on for now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm going to have to check out this and then maybe, you know, if I'm into it, which I expect to be, go back and check out a couple of the other ones. Because they seem very mumblecore, indie-ish kind of as well, so. Yeah. Probably right up our alley. Yep, definitely. Maybe we'll do an episode on one of them or down the road. Yeah, that'd be cool. A brand July episode. Maybe when July rolls back around. Miranda yeah. July in July. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess you can't top that. So uh, I, what's your what's your you know, you know, I got to apply a dumbass theme to anything we do. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess you can go with your final. pick. Yeah, my final pick here is. Um, arguably my my favorite movie on this list, maybe I, that's hard to say, um, but. Definitely the one that that I think made my stomach hurt the most by like with the with the twist. Um, it's Kill List, a 2011 film by Ben Wheatley, and this is his directorial debut, I believe. Um, and it's also uh, oddly enough ties well into your last pick because it's a, a melding of multiple genres as well. The story follows uh, a guy named Jay, who is an ex-soldier who's turned into a hitman. And he had a poorly executed job that happened in, in Kiev. And so he's kind of, it left him kind of mentally in a bad place. And he didn't want to work anymore. So the first 30 minutes of the film is kind of like a, an emotionally charged family drama. He's fighting with his wife about money. She's trying to get him to go back to work. Uh, she's like been talking to Shell is his wife's name. Shell's been talking to his friend uh, Gal, who is his like partner that he goes on hits with and stuff. And it's been eight months since he's done a job. So the first 30 minutes is is them arguing about money and she's trying to get him to take the job. He says, I, I, I'm not ready. I don't want to do that again right now. And. She kind of gets Gal involved, and Gal brings over his new girl that he's met and is kind of having a fling with for a, a couple's dinner one night, and they kind of discuss the next job, and after they have a screaming match, and like they fight a bunch and stuff, and have a lot of like tense uh, family drama happening, he finally agrees to, to take the job, and... Shell and Jay have a son who's around the age of 10 named Sam, and he kind of, you can tell that by the, by the way Sam acts that the, their relationship is very broken, Jay and Shell's, that they, they fight a lot, and, and especially Jay kind of has an anger problem, and I think that's probably, it never says, which is one thing I kind of, I love about Ben Wheatley, is that he, he leaves a lot of things unsaid, but they're implied, and, uh, I think his anger and his his stress and stuff is uh like a PTSD thing, you know, it's from being in Afghanistan. And yeah, and uh I don't know if you mentioned this but uh 
in the earth which i talked about last week uh was directed by ben wheatley so yeah yeah i'm i'm a big fan of his and like yeah and and I, and I know we're gonna have a super fan listener who's gonna be all up in arms about what you said earlier about it being his directorial debut it is not uh down terrace was his directorial debut so uh mm. save your tweets and your angry uh <laughs> angry <laughs> messages <laughs> aimed at evan because he got that wrong but uh so it's a second movie. yeah i've actually never seen that down terrace i'll have to, I'll have to watch that um but yeah he so it's kind of implied that his anger comes from his, you know, being in his tour in Iraq, and uh, he isn't exactly the nicest person, and he struggles with like day to day life, and that's kind of I think how he got into the hitman thing is that he had trouble adjusting to like a normal environment, so that's kind of his way of making money while still doing something that's not normal, you know. And, it definitely isn't helping his situation though, and that's why he took the break and stuff. So there's a lot of a lot of baggage here that the movie kinda hands you when it opens. And then after the first thirty minutes, they start they leave to go on the job and it becomes like a an action thriller for like thirty minutes. And they're like going to get the targets and they're things are going wrong and there's kind of this whole the whole time, even from the opening there's a very ominous feeling like there's through the music and the sound design and uh something that fiona uh gal's new fling i mentioned does while she's at the house is she flips a mirror over and like carves something in the back of it and then hangs it back up so you're kind of like you know already that there's more like there's a bigger picture here and you're just not clued into what exactly it is yet and during this action thriller uh, act of the film you're kind of drip fed more details about what's going on and it builds more tension and then the final act descends entirely into madness and becomes <laughs> this is an <laughs> almost what, what's that i said this is madness <laughs> that's just that's the genre <laughs> it goes into is this is madness. yeah <laughs> yeah it uh it definitely like descends into like a horrific and folkloric horror kind of final act, uh, and it it seamlessly blends these genres into like a coherent and highly engaging story that's got really good tension and really good performances and excellent uh, sound and music design. Yeah, and that's and, interesting that you mentioned that because I thought in the Earth too. Like, I mean, we talked about the Clint Mansell score, but also like just the sound design in general of that was great. So it's it's nice to hear that he definitely pays attention to sound design, seemingly from what yeah, you're saying. For sure, um, the sound plays a big aspect in, in Ben Wheatley's movies, definitely, and this one's no yeah. exception. And it's uh, often a thing that maybe a lot of directors maybe neglect a little bit i think because they're like their work their work worried about like the visual experience right right yeah and i think it's it's all those puzzle pieces are all just as, as important as the next you know i should also add that i uh, kind of my my i guess closing thought for this movie is that the ending of this movie will gut your ass. Like it makes my stomach hurt every time I watch it <laughs> when it goes off. And and I know it's I know what's coming. And I think it's it's one of those movies too that that holds up on multiple rewatches because you're able to to dissect it more. And I think every time I've watched this, 
I've came out feeling like I knew more and noticed more, but never have I felt like I had all the answers, you know, which I think is really smart, smart filmmaking. Uh, it leaves uh, enough to your imagination, but also paid so much attention to detail that you're able to pick up more each time you watch. So a really well-made movie and, and definitely worth seeking out if you haven't seen it. I didn't say where you could seek it out and watch it at, but you can seek it out and watch it on AMC Plus. And uh, I definitely recommend you do that. You come with recommendations. They're well earned. <laughs> Good. I hear Kiev was stormy. I'm in the process of rewriting it. Good. It's important to learn from one's mistakes. I always find it. That was dramatic. I'm bleeding on the carpet. Is that your wagon hat? No. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Every cloud. One of each. Shutter as well or no? This one is just uh, AMC just Plus AMC and Plus. IFC because it was distributed by IFC. So that's. You can watch it on there also. If you have, like, you know, the, the IFC Unlimited by itself. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's excellent. A, a masterfully crafted thriller that it just blends so many genres almost effortlessly. Like, it just works, and it's really cool to see it, see it play out. Yeah. Well, what's your last pick, Nick? It is with All the, right, the final the, the, drum roll, please. The final pick. And I, I really contemplated putting this one on because I know maybe some people listening are not gonna like this one, but uh, it's uh, and it's probably gonna be the only time I ever get to talk about a superhero movie on here. So uh, it's uh, the new animated DC movie, Batman: The Long Halloween, which is split into two parts. They're both out, so you could watch the whole thing. But I believe in 2022 they're releasing it as a set, so you can watch it as one movie. Um. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's in two ninety or it's like eighty two eighty minute sections. So it's you know. I think I saw this on Netflix the other day. I don't think it's on that. It's pretty new, and it would definitely go to HBO because Warner Brothers owns HBO. Oh, maybe I saw something else. I thought it was that. No, I don't think it's that. Um, but the reason I put it on here is oh, I know what you're saying. Oh, how is it a crime movie? All uh, huh. <laughs> It, this is a whodunit mystery film set in the Batman universe. Um, it, it opens with a a member of the crime, the Falcone crime family being murdered on Halloween. And then every subsequent holiday after another person within the within Gotham City is murdered. And it's up to Batman huh. and Harvey Dent and uh, Commissioner Gordon to figure out who it is and it's very interesting I think like as a whodunit movie like because it's gonna be like oh you know y you have your suspects you're like oh obviously Joker plays into it you know <laughs> so like you have right. a million suspects in your head and uh, I really really like this and I think the art style is pretty it, it looks like Archer I don't know if you've watched Archer but it's got that bold I have I've watched some Archer not all of it but. yeah like that bold like the very bold look to it um 
got a lot of characters, a lot going on, but I think the mystery of it's just great. And like every holiday, it's like a different, you know, and they like stage the crime scene to look cool um, each time. So like Valentine's Day and uh, I'm trying to think of Christmas and New Year's and a lot of really cool set pieces. Um, I'm curious, how, how adult is it? Like, can I watch this with my kids or is it adult? You could, I mean... It's a Batman movie. It's not super. Well, I didn't. Dumb. I didn't know. I know the DC animated stuff sometimes gets more adult mm, than that. No, I. It's PG thirteen and like maybe. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll say maybe a little more on the adult. It's not like Kitty, like Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something. I was about to say it's not going to be like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. No, nah, it's definitely recently. more on the darker side of uh it, but I definitely think it's kid friendly. You know. Um. Okay. Cool. Yeah, but I think it's interesting, you know, a mystery film, crime mystery film, because it, it follows the Falcone family being picked off kind of one by one, and nobody can figure it out. <laughs> and it's uh, definitely got a memorable reveal on what's all going down within it. And the even if you just watch part one, like, it ends on a, a point where you're like, oh, I definitely got to see part two, you know? Okay. Yeah, yeah. this sounds like one I would probably like, and I, I like the... The kind of the naming scheme of the long Halloween and then every holiday they kill someone like that's a pretty that's a cool idea. Yeah. And it takes place over quite a chunk of time. The The first part ends on New Year's. OK, Day. So, f so from the time. So like from Halloween to New Year's basically is the first one. Yeah. And then the second one is like so it, it takes place over probably a year, I'd say. OK over the course That's of cool. a year and you know it's it, you're following these characters and harvey dent you know he's not so obviously you know harvey dent you know he becomes two-faced and all that stuff and it definitely has that right uh in it um so like that's interesting and then his relationship with his girlfriend and then commissioner gordon can't you know go to halloween trick-or-treating with his kids because someone's killing people <laughs> and it's just okay yeah, see, I I really this is probably one of my favorite DC animated movies in recent years. Um, very very good. And uh, yeah, this one's one that I think I would probably like to check out pretty yep. soon. Yeah, that's why I picked the it for this because I I definitely and that's why I put it last. Cause I'm like I know some people are gonna be like, oh, Batman movie, definitely checking out of that. But you know, if you're in <laughs> if you're into that sort of thing, uh, I definitely think it's worth a watch. And I don't think it's like super convoluted like. You gotta know this character and this character because, like, it's it's standalone. You don't have to. It, it does connect possibly to other DC animated movies, but it's standalone. Like, you don't, you can watch this by itself. And, yeah, and, it'd be and fine. I, yeah, I know that's a big thing with a lot of people and like a lot of these superhero things. It's like, oh, it's a cinematic universe, and you know, I gotta watch fourteen movies to watch this one. <laughs> yeah, it's annoying. That's definitely an issue for me. I don't. I'm not into that. Like, yeah. it's I like, like meta stuff, but it's, it gets to a point where I'm like, fuck, I, it's too much for me. It's yeah, like a series it, now. Yeah, it, it would be like <laughs> jumping into like the MCU now would be like jumping into like season five of a TV show, you know, or something or like season twenty. Yeah. You know, it's like, what? Wait, I'm missing all of this, <laughs> but I'm getting this. Right. You know. Yeah, yeah, definitely exactly. uh, get that element of it. But I definitely, I mean, this is standalone, so I think you can watch it, enjoy it um, without I'm any... check this one out. Sounds like the, 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 the murder mystery aspect of it sounds yeah, that's, cool. Yeah, that's what I like about it, too, the murder mystery aspect. Also, it's... I can confirm that it was not on Netflix. The one I saw on Netflix was The Killing Joke. Oh. 
Yeah, we'll just uh, yeah. stay quiet. Yeah, I saw the ratings when I figured out which one it was. <laughs> it's, not, it's not bad, but it's definitely the, one of the weaker DC animated movies, I think. Yeah, I but but this sounds like one I I, I will uh, definitely give a watch. The Long Halloween. Um, yeah, and it's you said they're doing a set where you can get them both. I'll probably wait and just cop that because that seems like the way to go. Yeah, that's what they. So both parts are out now. You could buy them individually on VOD and uh, Blu-ray. I'm assuming they're gonna come to HBO Max at some point because HBO Max owns uh or right. like owns DC essentially. I don't know, it's confusing, but essentially all DC stuff runs through HBO Max. Right, the Warner Bros. and and HBO, I think, have a partnership, which Warner Bros. and DC have a partnership. Well, no, I think it's... Yeah, something like that, right? AT&T owns Warner Bros. and DC Comics. That's how that... Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, this falls into that graphic of where every company leads back to, like, five companies. Yeah, five companies on everything in the world. Yeah, exactly. You're looking at Amazon, AT&T, Disney. Right. (laughs) Comcast is, like, a few, just a few, which AT&T may own them. I don't know. Shit. That always, so, like, growing up, I had a, this is a random-ass sidebar. I would always have, like, DirecTV or something, and, like, they'd be, like, you'd watch a Comcast channel and it'd be like oh direct tv is removing comcast and like you never realize how many channels are owned by them until like you go to 15 channels and all of them say hey direct tv is threatening you know they're right just, they're, they're just trying to get more money you know that's all they're doing yeah but uh you know they're holding out for more money you know so uh call this number to stand and fight the evil direct yeah, tv <laughs> I, I remember when that was happening with uh with g4 and like the Esquire network ended up buying that whole thing, and just like I remember seeing commercials for because Directv uh, or Dish Network cut uh, cut G Four, I believe, or D- Directv cut it, and only Dish had it. Yeah, I was and, like, because I had Dish and they had G Four. Yeah, until I remember ended, I think. we switched. Yeah, we switched to Dish like right after that, not because of that, but my parents just ended up switching, and I was hyped because it meant I could keep watching G Four. And but I remembered seeing those commercials on there. Yeah, uh, direct TV about they're getting rid of this. Well, know? no, it would interrupt the show. It'd just be like big ass, like breaking news across the TV show. So you'd just be watching, like you know, <laughs> Viva La Bam or something. And here's a thing that, like, I'm not gonna call that number. I'm watching Viva La Bam. You think I give a shit? <laughs> <laughs> this ain't the, you know. But uh, yeah, you're showing this during Viva La Bam, and like four stoned people are like, "Bro, I'm not calling that," and they're just laughing and making the, fun of it. Yeah, they're prank calling them or something. <laughs> Right, they call them, yeah, and ask them if their refrigerator's running. <laughs> yeah, but you'd go to, you know, 15 different channels and they'd all say that, and that, like, kind of made me realize how much sway certain companies have. And obviously in recent years, it's been Disney. They own ESPN and all that sort of stuff. Right. They own so much stuff. But uh, Yeah, I think that, that uh, like, we've barely scratched the surface, you know, of crime movies, and if, and if you liked our recs, if this is something you want to see us dive further into... Let us know. Tweet at us. We're yeah. at Boy Video Pod or jump in the Discord. I'll get the link to that in the description. Yeah. And, uh, it, let us know what you what you want to see us get into. Yeah, we debated this too because last t- last time we did the sci-fi thing, we did a uh, honorable mention. So we're like, let's cut them because maybe we could do a part two of this if people like it. Yeah, and we also kind of shortened the intro a bit. I I was more long winded this time than Nick, as usual. Kind of I I tend to sidebar like, <laughs> but uh. 
But it, let us know what format you like better. Do you like the longer form uh, dive into the genres, or do you like uh, the shorter form that we could possibly do two episodes on? Let us know what, what you prefer. Yeah, or you we're should, open. You want the list uh, right off the bat. That's all you want is the list. You don't want any details. You just like name movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the movie is like four minutes long, and it's like, Cachillionaire, and then you would say what your movie <laughs> is, and then <laughs> yeah, fifty movies, and all we just say the name of them <laughs> where you can watch it. <laughs> but no, we're we're definitely open, and we like playing around with uh, different formats. And we, I, if you if you've listened to this show for a while, you probably noticed that we we tend to change up the format every single week. It's never the same week to week, and we kind of enjoy doing that. So let us know what what uh kind of direction you like the most, and. And we can dabble in it some more. Yeah, yeah, and I think for this episode we got a a really diverse set of ten films here of all different types of crime films, and yeah, I think uh, definitely, most likely a couple that you know you might be interested in. So uh, yeah, I think there's something here for everyone, you know, because we got we tried to cover our bases of the different kinds of crime movies that are out there and tried to make sure somebody everybody found something that that they wanted to watch you know and we hope you did yep and as always thanks for coming to void video